friends, welcome to the Go and Tell Gals podcast with Jess Connolly and Kanisha Bikes. Today, we're talking to one of our friends, a woman who runs on mission. We are praying this conversation leaves you fired up and ready to go right where you're at. We're super thankful for you. Let's go. We are here today with Jackie Hill Perry. She doesn't know this, but she is actually one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I feel like she's living in Atlanta. I'm from the South. I follow her on Instagram, which doesn't mean much because you don't really get to know people on Instagram, but I just feel like we could be really good friends. And so I am excited today about getting to know Jackie a little bit better and kind of sitting with her. Jess and I here today, Jackie Hill Perry. The myth, the legend, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I'm just like, gonna make you as uncomfortable as possible today. That's my goal. You're doing an excellent job. <laughs> no, seriously though, so respect who you are and what you do, what you stand for, and how much you have impacted my personal life, honestly, and how much I know you continue to impact others that you, for lack of a better word, we don't love this word always, but influence. So I would love for you to open up with just letting the people know kind of who Jackie is. My name is Jackie. I live in Atlanta with my husband and children. My husband is Preston. I've been married to him for seven years. My children are Eden, Autumn, and Sage. They are six, two, and six months. I teach, write, do poetry, rap, just a bunch of word stuff. And I love the Lord. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm obsessed with your daughters, which is, I'll clarify what that means. My kids are older. I have, my oldest is 17, my youngest is eight. I don't have babies anymore. So as I'm watching you, the life that you choose to share online, your daughters, your babies are the most delicious, yummy, like beautiful children. And they make me laugh. Thank you for sharing, being generous in that way. No problem. (laughs) I only share, I try to share when their hair is done. If I don't, it's because my hair look a mess. <laughs> That's usually when I'm not posting. Oh, my goodness. Their hair could look a mess all the time and it'd still be the most amazing thing in the whole wide world. Well, I love it when we talk about kids in a way that if you took it out of context, it would be like really disturbing. I do it all the time. Because I babies. said yummy and that's weird, right? No. Just call but me that- out. Same. I see, I'll see a baby and I'll be like, oh, I just want to eat your face. And I'm like, that's really disgusting. That's really inappropriate. Yeah, you can't help it. That's how cute it's, they are. It's a little cannibal-like, but you know. <laughs> I, I get it. I love it. I love it. Okay, we want to jump right in. We want to talk about this book coming out in August. I don't think I've seen anything online about it yet, but I'm wildly intrigued. Will you tell us more? Yeah, it's called Holier Than Thou. The subtitle is How the Holiness of God Helps Us to Trust Him. And basically, the premise is just kind of this idea that if God is morally pure, but also infinitely unique, then that incentivizes our faith. And so I started to think about it when I thought about the question of if God is holy, then he can't sin. If he can't sin, that means he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, wouldn't that make him absolutely trustworthy? And I just was like, huh, I want to investigate that idea. So let's write a book about it. What did people in your life start saying? Did anyone have any commentary when you said, like, I think I'm going to write a book about holiness, about God's holiness? 
They probably laughed. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember much commentary, but I will say that my pastor, he was teaching a really random subject. I don't remember the topic, but he quoted Jeremiah 2, which while I was thinking through if this would be a good book or not, he said this passage, which said, God is talking to Israel. He said, what, what worthlessness did you find in me that you left me and went after worthlessness? And it was kind of this question of, if I'm worth it, why are you leaving me? And I was like, that's, mm. that's my whole thought <laughs> right there, mm. which is if God is good and holy and righteous and true and pure and faithful, what is going on? Like, why do we choose idols over God? And I think it's because we haven't had a really accurate perspective about what holiness actually means. I think we oh. think of it as... Holiness is just that God hates sin rather than holiness is that God is ultimately good. I think that's a different perspective. I agree with you. I think when you say different perspective, I think absolutely it resonates with me because when I think about just the word itself, the word holiness, I think about the church that I grew up in. I grew up in an AME church, Methodist, you know, Southern Black church. And when I think holiness, I think it's something that is separate from my relationship with God. It's something that I could never truly understand or truly mm. even have full picture of because, you know, at least for me, my personal relationship growing up with this idea of who Jesus was, it was like, he is someone to fear, but not in a healthy way. He's someone to fear in a really unhealthy way. Yeah. So when I think holiness, I think that's something that I can't even approach. Like, not that I obviously could never attain the type of holiness that, that Jesus has, but like, I can never even go there in thought. So I'm super, super interested and excited about seeing and reading and hearing your perspective on that. And I think that obviously other people, we all need a new perspective shift on what that means. Yeah. And one thing I say in the book is that I'm not saying anything new. You know, I'm simply pointing out what the psalmists and the prophets and the apostles have been saying, you know, even when it comes to God's holiness in relation to his being unique and different. When you look through the Psalms, you in praise, they're always saying, who can compare to you? Who is like you? That's yes. them appealing to the holiness of God for why he's trustworthy, you know? And so I just, I don't know. I, I, think, I think we'll have a lot more joy if we saw how good God really is. I think it's beautiful that what I even hear in this is like just the fact that like that thought that you had that obviously came from the Holy Spirit that said, hey, how about you think about this? And then you sat and you thought about it, You're like, yeah, I'm going to write a book about that. And then God's like, you know, broadcasting this message through you, through the vessel that is you to the world to bring more revelation, to bring more understanding, to bring more. I don't know. I just Jess and Brenda both know this about me, but I tend to kind of expand a little bit a lot. That to me is a very beautiful process in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just really excited about exploring. Now I'm like, now I want to know. Now I want to know. I want to look at that differently. Yeah. yeah. You know how in culture, depending on who you are surrounded by, what voices you're surrounded by, you have a different perspective on like who's louder or what's bigger or what's the more predominant viewpoint. You know, it's interesting to me. Like I'll get a DM from somebody that'll be like, can you believe how culture is sharing this thing? And everybody, and I'm like, I don't hear anybody talking about that. No, uh, I don't. I've never heard anybody say that thing, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting to me, like a of all, just putting that pillar up there, like depending on who you're listening to, 
some argument is always louder than you know. It just depends who you're listening to. But that, I'm getting somewhere with this. We just had Easter. We just celebrated Easter as a church. And I have noticed this thing in me every Easter for the past few years. As a resurrection woman, as someone who believes in the resurrection, that there is a counter voice that I believe is present in culture and in the church that says, like, is he enough? Mm. Is the resurrection enough? Mm. Is God enough? And I say that it happens in the church because I think it happens in the church saying real words when we, like, put fanfare around Easter, when we need it to be, like, a smoke machine plus the resurrection, or when we need it to be, like, I don't know, like, a special music song plus the resurrection. I think we have to watch it even in the church. That being said, the argument's always louder depending on who you listen to. But I think that... This side of heaven, we can pretty much always count on that there's going to be an argument that God's not enough, that he's not good. Yeah. And so that's why this book feels so important to me. I had so many conversations with my husband, with my friends, even the days following Easter where I I heard that resounding, like, he's not enough. He's not enough. I heard it from Christians. I heard it online. I heard Easter's not enough. And I found this thing welling up in me where I was like, I think I love Jesus. Like, I think I believe in the resurrection. I think that's enough. And it sounds kind of wild, but that's why we need books like this to say like, hey, we're not saying smoke machine plus Jesus. You know, we're not saying that's enough, but we are saying the goodness of a father who created the world and made us and created a plan for our redemption and restoration is enough. Yeah. I mean, the first sin was because they didn't believe God was enough. They went after what God made instead of simply trusting the God that made it. And that's always been really fascinating to me, you know, that he looks at this tree and says, oh, this this is desired to make one wise, as if God isn't all wise. This is pleasurable to the eyes, as if God is not the most beautiful thing. This is uh, good for food, as if God can't satisfy the body. And, and, And so I think that's a part of all of our problems, is that unbelief tells us that God is never as good as he says he is, and which is at the root of idolatry, even in Romans 1, that they exchange the creator for the creation. And so I guess what God through his spirit, is trying to get the church back to is the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he really is all in all. Um, and we would do well to believe that. I do have a thought that I'd like to present, which is, you know, in thinking of unbelief, what is unbelief's space in pointing us back to truth? Like if I think about like over my life, In the times I've been in these spaces where I'm struggling with believing or I'm struggling with seeing, you know, God alone is enough for me. I think about how that space has allowed me sometimes also to really see my need for God, to recognize and to see, you know, my need for the one who created me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you all think about that? I hear what you're saying as far as, you know, idolatry which I think is a very dangerous space to live in, right? But is there space for, like, where is the space for unbelief? Where does God live in that? I think doubt and unbelief should be distinguished because in the world of doubt, you're asking questions, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're not believing. So it's, it's like 
God, I'm suffering. Where are you? Versus unbelief usually has some accusation apart from it. So God, I'm suffering. You're not here. Mm. There's a complete difference in both of those. And so I think with doubt, God is in that place and he's he's available to us in our unbelief. But I guess we would I think we need the spirit and community to be able to discern which side we're on. So it's really in the language, honestly, as well. Right. I guess I think the language identifies the disposition. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And So like you have people like Abraham and Sarah. When the angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a son next year, both of them asked the question, but one of them was accused of unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So questions are not wrong. It's what is the heart behind wow. my question, you know? Yeah, I love that. But I hear you, Kanisha, in the same way I often say, like, I don't trust a leader who hasn't failed yet, because when you've failed, then we really see what your leadership is like. Yes. In the same way where someone's faith is not that compelling to me until they can acknowledge their doubt. It's been tested. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do we say? We say faith is believing what we cannot see. And so, so much of just acknowledging, like, I don't, I don't see how this is going to work, but I'm going to press in, but I'm going to believe him. I think connecting that even back to holiness is like really believing that if God is pure, right, then in a real sense, he is safe. Mm. And so I I legit can go to him and say, I'm really struggling with believing you here. Or I really, I really feel like you don't love me. Or I feel like you didn't have to allow that. Or I feel like but redirect my mind to the truth. Like help me to be content, help me to be joyful. And so I I think so much of our suffering, it just gets worse because we go to everybody else about, about God instead of going to God about God. But when you look at the psalmist, again, (laughs) they were very honest. And I think it's, it's, it should say a lot to us that when they started their Psalms with criticisms and with critique and with pain, it ended in praise. But it started with them being honest first. Yeah. I think that word safe is what stands out to me from what you just said. So I would pose this question and, you know, not everyone obviously feels safe when they think about the church, when they think about Christianity, when they think about Jesus. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you have walked your journey with Jesus and maybe speak to maybe sometimes that you haven't felt safe, but you've been able to turn those moments through the Holy Spirit from pain to praise? I live in a world of not feeling like the church is safe because people aren't safe. <laughs> like anybody that got a sin nature, they're really not that safe. Like <laughs> at any point you can act like Satan towards me. And that's terrifying. I think a particular season was when I went to a church that ended up uh, after some time being very cultish. And in it, you don't know, you know, you think, oh, we're all on mission. You're, you're drinking for the Jesus. Kool-Aid. Yeah. We all loving the <laughs> Lord. We all like zealous realize not realizing that your leadership has completely different motives they're taking all your money they're using the bible to sleep with people in the church and so after that to me i was good on the church because i'm like y'all y'all aren't safe y'all are not some place that i want to be but then i realized eventually is that 
there's this dichotomy with the church and people is that in the same way that they can be unsafe is the same way that they can be very safe and that God can use them to heal. And so it was actually the church that healed me of my church hurt. And so I guess that's one example of like navigating stuff is that we can't be so pessimistic about people and about situations and about the church that we lack hope because God uses people to do his bidding. Yeah. (laughs) But so does Satan. And so I think both of those we have to just balance together. Hey, friends, it's Brenna here. I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a favor. Would you head to your podcast app and leave us a review? This helps other gals find the show, and it also helps us to know exactly what you'd like to hear. Plus, if you leave a review between now and the end of June, you'll have a chance to win some brand new Breaking Free from Body Shame merch to help you keep running on mission. Check out the show notes for all the details. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's get back to this conversation. That's beautiful. Have you guys ever read that book, Safe People? It's terrifying. The title sounds terrifying. Yeah. Everybody (laughs) I know who's picked it up has picked it up to like you know, get more safe people in their life. Every person I know that's read it has been like, I'm not safe. Like, oh gosh, it's me. I'm not yeah. safe. And you realize like, None we're really not. We're yeah. really not. Oh, so good. Okay. Words. You build a world of kingdom mindedness with your words, poetry, books, teaching. What is difficult about your work, about this God-given mission that God's placed in your life right now, in this season? Humility. Mm. That's difficult. Because I had to teach on James at a conference two days ago, James 3, where he says, not many of you should be teachers, for we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's terrifying. And that's scary. Because when I look at the Bible, When I look at friends, when I look at my heart, I know that all of us that use words have a temptation to believe that because we say good things, it means we're living a good life. And that's just not true. (laughs) Like what you say is not always the proof of your intimacy. And so I guess that's one of the hardest things is like I know more than what I'm able to obey. Does that make sense? There's this pleading with God that he would actually make me and help me to live out every. Because when you say so many words, tweets, Instagrams, preaching, you have all these things that now you have you, you you're storing up potential judgment. And so that's hard. It's <laughs> God help me. I don't want to be a hypocrite, period. That's all I got. That's that's all my words. <laughs> Same. Retweet. <laughs> yeah, retweet. Yeah. <laughs> So good, but like maybe not retweet because then it's more words that we've said. I, mean, like, I you said know. it. It's out there. Now. <laughs> it's out there. Not yet. Uh, not yet. It's not yeah. out there yet. That's true. <laughs> On the daily, are there practical tools that God has shown you, given you that you've like been able to develop that help you like keep some guards around the words, keep some guards around the humility? Is there anything that you've been like, oh, this helps, or this person asked me this question? Having older, wise women in my life, huge. They continually challenge me, call out places that I may or may not see. Being honest with God, that's like a thing for me. Like I I, I tell God 
everything I'm feeling, including, hey, I'm really enjoying this praise. I need you to help me. I really, I'm about to teach. I want your glory. Can you help me? You know, like, like giving it to him. And like yes. he has been so faithful to keep me from temptation because I told it told him about it up front. The Bible, it's hard to see God as he is and not see yourself as you are. And so I think like looking at the scriptures and seeing, oh, in the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth, you know, like by grace through faith, I have been saved, not of works, lest I boast. That automatically keeps you low because you have a a, 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 a proper vision of God, like Isaiah 6. So yeah, community, Bible, prayer. Beautiful. I've had... Uh kind of this thing, if you will, turning around in my heart for maybe the past six or seven months. And because I follow you, I see a lot of artistic things that you share, which obviously even, you know, you using your words and being a poet and all those things, in my opinion, are artistic expressions. But then I also see, which is something I'm very passionate about, your love for design. And I want to kind of speak to that a little bit and just get you to chat a little bit about that. And something I've been thinking about as an artist, um, self-proclaimed, by the way, is thinking of creativity as communion. It's this idea that, you know, because God, who is the creator, gave us the ability to create, it's like this beautiful exchange that happens when we create. Because for me, I started refinishing furniture and all those things, painting and styling rooms and doing all these things. It started out of a very dark season and it was a moment for me in that time to really have a reset and like hear God's voice. I'd put on worship music and literally just for hours, just go for it. And over the years, I've realized like, this is actually a gift. This is a gift that I have to be able to sit and commune with God in this way and actually be able to enjoy something the, the gift is that he's given me the ability to put my hands to something that actually creates something beautiful. And there's this exchange, right? So just in that mindset of creativity as a creative, how do you feel when you're doing those things, even when you're, you know, putting your rooms together, which I've loved, by the way, how do you see those things bringing you closer to your mission and closer to God? I don't know, because all of them have different aims, you know, but they all have some element of creativity because I'm a creative. Like I can't help but not be weird in that way. <laughs> That's but, a great way to say that. <laughs> yeah, because it's so funny. I was telling somebody, you no, know, me and Preston were talking about it. I was like, all the things that make me effective now actually made me a weirdo in school. And so it's like, I get I get praised for the things I got picked on for. It, it's, it's weird. I don't know. I guess it's a joy. That's the best way I could mm-hmm. describe it is that mm-hmm. like God has given me a mind to think of things, whether it's a room, whether it's a poem, whether it's the way I'll approach a sermon, think of it in ways that like are just unorthodox or different. And there's a joy in being able to just be myself in that way. I think even when it comes to design I don't think I've ever looked at it as communion, and I I probably should. I've looked at it as facilitating hospitality and enjoyment in my home, because I really feel like the, the environment you create really does govern how people feel in a space. 
And so for me, it's like, how can I create a space that makes people feel good and welcome and even entertained, you know, that you looked at that wall and you looked at that wall and you were con- you were consistently interested. I don't like going in people's houses where it's just like, oh, uh, let me not say that because some people might have. <laughs> about that. Listen, I, listen, me and you. I, yes, I don't want my house to <laughs> you feel don't like, have to say it. But I, we it hear you. feel okay? like jail. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah. Like people should not go to your house and feel like they in the closet or change the room. And so, <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just fun, you know. Let me ask you this about homes. This is like a brand new thought just happened this morning, came out of a conversation this morning. This is fresh. But tell me if this sits with you guys. Because unlike the two of you, I am not interested or excited about home design. Actually, Kanisha's coming to But your home my- is amazing. So. Whoa, you're very kind. Kanisha's coming to my town this week, and I'm not taking her to my house. Like, I got an Airbnb. You know what I'm saying? Because I know where my strengths are. Listen... Well, you're kind. Thank you. But it's actually been an area of defeat for me in the past. Like, you know, my husband and I, in our first 10 or 12 years marriage, really struggled financially. It wasn't like a thing for us. So it just was this area of defeat. Like, oh, I don't know. I can't do it. I was having a conversation this morning, actually, with my sister. And so what her and I have in common that all of us on this conversation have in common, which might everybody not be able to relate to, but I think is a really interesting point, is we were talking about how all of us are women who travel to teach the Bible. And we teach, and my sister does as well. And we were talking about it. And we were she had just met someone who kind of just started doing that. And she was talking about this season, which I see in women. And a lot of the women listening to this podcast are women who would love to travel to teach the Bible. So they think they would. That's okay. That's where I'm getting. <laughs> so she was like, I was having this conversation with this woman. She was like, you know, she's in that phase where the hotel airplane life it actually sounds like the goal it sounds like glamour like this is the dream and I think for a lot of people they think that's the thing and I was telling my sister whose home is beautiful and she's used what God's given her to cultivate this really beautiful home not in an idolatrous way just like she's built a really nice nest for her kids but I said I think something about cultivating my home fights that other side of the idol that says like I gotta go and be and do and produce but to create a better nest at my house to say like this is where it happens like this is where the kingdom comes this is where my first ministry gets my best for the first time in my life I just got a work phone and a personal phone and I was telling my kids about it and showing them like my work phone versus my personal phone and they were so interested that my new personal phone is like the newer version of the iPhone (laughs) and I said I was like I'm telling you guys y'all get my best Y'all get my best. Only my family has this number, but I was like, you guys get my best. You get the new iPhone, you know? And so something about, to me, creating a home where you're like, this is it. This is the first place where God gets glory in my life. Whether you're single and it's you and two roommates, whether it's you and a husband, whether it's you on your own, whether it's you with your family saying like, this is it. Good stuff happens here. I bring my tide to God and I bring my first energy and creativity and wonder to this place. Yeah. Feels big, you know? That's beautiful. It, big and it's possible. Big and yeah. possible. Yeah. So. Let me say this in full confession and humility. On the flip side, from January to March, all my plants died. And 
it's like the number one quickest sign that I'm working too much if my plants, they're all dead. I just told a friend last week, I was like, I got to go replace my plants. I'm going to keep the pods because like spend money on them. But, you know, so it's a good teller of like, hey, when I'm not cultivating here, let's get back aligned. Mm. Yeah. I remember when we had a, at my old church, we were in small group and we were talking about the home and the person leading, she took us kind of on a timeline about the theme of home throughout scripture. And it really did something to my heart because, you know, she started with the Bible starts with God creating a home for humanity. And a part of the problem is of sin is that they were exiled, kicked out of their original home. But how then in Revelation, we're, said, we're told that God has prepared a place, a home for us. But even before that, when you get to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and fills people in a home. Jesus does miracles yep. in homes. He he speaks to people and engages in homes. And so I get the, you know, the shiny lights and the perceived glory of stages, but I don't think there's any more thing more beautiful than being willing to do that in a home. Yes, I do not disagree. I think this whole journey is us getting back to home of our hearts, the home of this earth, and then the home of eternity. Like, yeah, it's just really amazing to think about and fun to think about. Yeah, it is. Amen. All right. Last thing, Jackie, how can we be praying for you? How can all these listeners be just fighting for you when they talk to God? Just humility. That, that's something I've been on a lot this this past year, which is because being to be honest, this might be a potential book <laughs> one day, but I am concerned with uh, Christian influencer culture and what it's doing to our hearts, you know, and I, I think it's I think it's scary because I don't think fame I don't think fame is bad. David was famous. Solomon was famous. Jesus was famous. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's bad, but I do think it's corruptible. Like it it, it does something to the human heart. So I guess for me, just praying that I would continue to just love God more than anything. Like if you pray that for me, I'll be gold. So good. Thank you so much for being here today. We're super grateful for you. This was Or gals. Gals. It's whatever you want it to be. Women. (laughs) Women, girls, (laughs) ladies. Thank you, Jackie. That was a huge win. That was a big blessing. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for popping into the podcast today, friends. We're grateful to share this space with you. God is mighty in you, and he's using you to change the world. See you next week.